Warning, this podcast includes mentions of violent robbery, death and suicide, including sounds of a gunshot. Listener discretion is advised. Bedtime Histories, where we discover history through stories. I'm Abby, and I'm here today to explore the stories of highwaymen and the different ways we remember them. So come and settle down by the fire, take a deep breath and relax, and let's see where our stories take us today. Highwaymen have been fairly well known in the UK. Probably most of you will have heard of Dick Turpin, although perhaps you may not have given him much thought. He, like many other men throughout history, turned to a criminal life, robbing people on Britain's highways. They became popular in our history because they were portrayed as innocent men. They were driven by powerful enemies and circumstances out of their control to live outside society and take up these criminal means to survive. While this portrayal does have some truth to it, this isn't the whole story. Highwaymen have been around since about the 14th century, so as early as 1326 there are records of gentlemen gangsters causing trouble on the roads. Highwaymen hit their peak of infamy in the 17th and 18th century, when the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Their popularity followed the end of the English Civil Wars. This meant there were a lot of skilled soldiers now without income who turned to the highway for fast cash. Not all highwaymen were ex-soldiers, but soldiers had the right set of skills needed to be successful robbing on the road. They could ride a horse and shoot a gun, as well as fight with a sword or their fists. So it took more than the average man to pick up this career path. A different route into the life of a highwayman that was a bit more unusual was taken by those who were footmen of the wealthy. Having been close to wealthy people and been part of their lives, They often learnt lots of skills, like horse riding and sword skills, and more uniquely, the importance of sensibility and manners at this time, as this was key to differentiating class. What was most important was that they saw the lavish lives the wealthy led and sought it out for themselves. They broke away from society and sought out a freer life. So already a bit of a pattern is forming in the way highwaymen are presented. They were men with skills who wanted to do right by themselves had the guts to go and take what they needed and also had learnt to be disciplined in their work, whether that be from serving in the army or serving their employer. This creates an awe of innocence and righteousness about their criminal lives, which seems quite unusual when you think about it. But there was a real romanticism of the skilled, brave and honourable highwaymen that still pervades our thoughts. But before I get too carried away, let's move on to the stories. Our first story this week comes in the form of a ballad, which is a narrative song that was popular during the 18th century as well. And if you like this ballad, there's a huge amount of ballads available online. There's one collection available from the Bodleian Library that has over 30,000 ballads. And its website's called Broadside Ballads Online, if you wanted to look it up. But anyway, the first ballad I've chosen today is named Brennan on the Moor. It's about one of my favourite highwaymen, Willie Brennan, and what happened during his life. 
So without further ado, let's hear our first story. It's of a fearless highwayman, a story I will tell. His name was Willie Brennan, in Ireland did dwell. And on the Lilvet Mountains commenced his wild career, where many a wealthy gentleman before him shook with fear. A brace of loaded pistols he carried night and day. He never robbed a poorman upon the King's Highway. But what he'd taken from the rich, like Turpin and Black Bess, he always did divide it with the widow in distress. One night he robbed a packman, the name of Pedlar Bourne. They travelled on together till the day began to dawn. The peddler seeing his money gone, likewise his watch and chain. He at once encountered Brennan and robbed him back again. When Brennan seeing the peddler was as good a man as he, he took him on the highway for his companion to be. The peddler threw away his pack without any more delay and proved a faithful comrade to his dying day. One day upon the highway, as Willie he sat down, he met the mayor of Gashel a mile outside the town. The mayor he knew his features, I think, young man, said he. Your name is Willie Brennan, you must come along with me. As Brennan's wife had gone to town, provisions for to buy, when she saw her Willie, she began to cry. <laughs> he said, give me that tenpenny, as soon as Willie spoke. She handed him a blunderbuss from underneath her cloak. Then with his loaded blunderbuss, the truth I will unfold. He made the mayor tremble and robbed him of his gold. One hundred pounds be offered for his apprehension there, and he with his horse and saddle to the mountains did repair. Then Brennan being an outlaw upon the mountain high, where cavalry and infantry to take him they did try. He laughed at them with scorn <laughs> until at length it said, by a false-hearted young man, he was basely betrayed. Hmm. In the country Tipperary, in the place they did call Clonmore, Willie Brennan and his comrade that day did suffer sore. He lay amongst the fern, which was thick upon the field, and nine wounds he did receive before that he did yield. Then Brennan and his comrade, knowing they were betrayed, he with a mounted cavalry a noble battle made. He lost his former finger, which was shot off by a ball, so Brennan and his comrade were taken after all. So they were taken prisoners, in irons they were bound, and conveyed to Clonmore jail, strong walls did them surround. They were tried and found guilty, the judge made this reply, for robbing on the king's highway, you're both condemned to die. Farewell unto my wife, and to my children three. Likewise my aged father, he shed many tears for me, and to my aged mother, who tore her grey locks and cried, saying, I wish, Willie Brennan, in your cradle you had died. What a life you let. This ballad tells us about many different aspects of a highwayman's life. One of the key themes that weaves throughout this ballad, and most other ballads about highwaymen, is the idea we were discussing earlier, that highwaymen were thought of as honourable criminals. The ballad gives us several new reasons why the people writing and singing these songs thought of highwaymen this way. Firstly, this ballad highlights the fact that highwaymen only robbed the rich, which itself gave some satisfaction to the poor, as it was almost a kind of revenge for them. As it's important to note that the only violence recalled in the ballad was against the rich or those enforcing the law, and they wouldn't have treated the poor very kindly. So the people singing these songs would have enjoyed hearing about how the people who usually make them suffer were suffering themselves. 
And on top of that, they often help the poor, giving them some of the money they stole from the rich. And in Brennan's case, he was said to have always shared his wealth with the widow in distress. So he's obviously a fairly nice man who helped people who would have been struggling, especially after the death of their spouse. Although, if you think about it, maybe they didn't rob the poor because they had no money. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt here. This was particularly important because high women often displayed manners and discipline learnt from their previous jobs, either in the army or from part of the elite cultures of sensibility and politeness learnt firsthand from the wealthy. So it was their honourable actions that helped highwaymen gain a high profile, even as criminals. They became known as people who helped their communities while living bravely outside of the law, although it was not entirely by choice and often driven by necessity. And it's that life outside society that also leads to an interesting discovery that seems quite obvious, really. Their connection to the land, and more specifically, treacherous rural terrain, made highwaymen exceptional criminals. Highwaymen often based themselves in rural areas, as Willie Brennan is said to live in the Livet Mountains, although there are no mountains in Ireland, so that's a little odd. But this just highlights the importance of their connection to rural areas and the people there, because the place was made up for him to live in. By choosing such extreme terrain as Brennan's home, the ballad creators show the value of rural knowledge, as those chasing Brennan were well out of their comfort zone in such a rural area, unlike Willie, who was easily able to evade them because he knew the area so well. Being in more rural areas, they would have often been in contact with the rural poor, who were working hard to make it through each day. From watching the highwaymen, who would have often passed through their towns and villages, it's easy to imagine how the rural poor would have come to admire highwaymen and their way of life. Even though it was outside the norm, because of their success it may have been seen as a potential way out of poverty. Although in reality, the poor probably knew that they lacked the skills to become a highwayman, but it still gave them hope for a better life. Even though their lives were quite different, it's still clear that there was a friendship and camaraderie between the poor and the highwayman. In this ballad, it's clearly shown in the way that Brennan interacts with Peddler Braun, who Brennan deems good enough to work beside him for the rest of his life. So you might have noticed that highwaymen seem to have become Robin Hood-like figures to many. Which, if you think about it, Robin Hood was an early highwayman. He lived in the woods and stole from the rich with his gang, but he just used a bow and arrow rather than a gun. From this ballad, you really do get a Robin Hood-like impression of highwaymen, as they are shown as good people who were forced to take extreme action and become criminals, which still seems to be one of the most common impressions of highwaymen today, as we discussed earlier. This is quite a nice way for highwaymen to be remembered, but this was just the beginning of their romanticisation. Following these 17th and 18th century ballads, there was a period of even further romanticising of highwaymen in the 19th and 20th century. This brings us to our next story, which comes in the form of a poem from Alfred Noyes called The Highwayman. So now it's time to sit back and relax and enjoy the romantic era of highwaymen. Mm-hmm. 
The wind was a torrent of darkness among the gusty trees. The moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas. The road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor. And the highwaymen came riding, riding, riding. The highwaymen came riding up to the old inn door. He'd a French cocked hat on his forehead, a bunch of lace at his chin, a coat of claret velvet and breeches of brown doe skin. He fitted with never a wrinkle, his boots were up to the thigh, and he rode with a jewelled twinkle, his pistol butts a twinkle, his rapier hilt a twinkle under the jewelled sky. Over the cobbles he clattered and clashed in the dark inn-yard. He tapped with his whip on the shutters, but all was locked and barred. He whistled a tune at the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love-knot into her long black hair. And dark in the dark old inn-yard, a stable wicket creaked where Tim the ostler listened, his face was white and peaked. His eyes were hollows of madness, his hair like mouldy hay, but he loved the landlord's daughter, the landlord's red-lipped daughter. Dumb as a dog he listened, and he heard the robber say, One kiss, my bonny sweetheart, I'm after a prize tonight, but I shall be back with the yellow gold before the morning light. Yet if they press me sharply, and harry me through the day, then look for me by moonlight, watch for me by moonlight. I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. He rose upright in the stirrups, he scarce could reach her hand. But she loosened her hair in the casement, his face burnt like a brand. As the black cascade of perfume come tumbling over his breast, and he kissed its waves in the moonlight, oh sweet black waves in the moonlight, then he tugged at his rein in the moonlight and galloped away to the west. He did not come in the dawning, he did not come at noon, and out of the tawny sunset before the rising moon, when the road was a gypsy's ribbon, looping the purple moor, a red-coat troop come a-marching, marching, marching, King George's men come marching up to the old inn door. They said no words to the landlord, they drank his ale instead, but they gagged his daughter and bound her to the foot of her narrow bed. Two of them knelt at her casement with muskets at their side. There was death at every window, and hell at one dark window, for Bess could see through her casement the road that he would ride. They had tied her up to attention with many a sniggering jest. They had bound a musket beside her with the muzzle beneath her breast. Now keep good watch, and they kissed her. She heard the doomed men say, Look for me by moonlight, watch for me by moonlight. I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. She twisted her hands behind her, but all the knots held good. She writhed her hands till fingers were wet with sweat or blood. 
They stretched and strained in the darkness, and the hours crawled by like years. Till now, on the stroke of midnight, cold on the stroke of midnight, the tip of one finger touched it, the trigger at least was hers. The tip of one finger touched it, she strove no more for the rest. Up she stood to attention, with the muddle beneath her breast. She would not risk their hearing, she would not strive again. For the road lay bare in the moonlight, blank and bare in the moonlight, and the blood of her veins in the moonlight throbbed to her loved refrain. Tlot, 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 tlot. Had they heard it? The horse hooves ringing clear. Tlot, 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 tlot. In the distance, were they deaf that they did not hear? Down the ribbon of moonlight, over the brow of the hill, the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The redcoats looked to their priming. She stood up straight and still. Tlot, tlot, in the frosty silence. Tlot, tlot, in the echoing night. Nearer he came and nearer. Her face was like a light. Her eyes grew wide for a moment. She drew one last deep breath. Then her finger moved in the moonlight. Her musket shattered the moonlight. Shattered her breast in the moonlight and warned him with her death. He turned, he spurred to the west, he did not know who stood, bowed with her head o'er the musket, drenched with her own blood. Not till the dawn he heard it, and his face grew grey to hear, how best the landlord's daughter, the landlord's black-eyed daughter, had watched for her love in the moonlight, and died in the darkness there. Back. He spurred like a madman, shrieking a curse to the sky. With the white road smoking behind him and his rapier brandished high. Blood red were his spurs in the golden noon, wine red was his velvet coat. When they shot him down on the highway, down like a dog on the highway, and he lay in his blood on the highway with a bunch of lace at his throat. And still of a winter's night, they say, when the wind is in the trees, when the moon is ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas, when the road is a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor, a highwayman comes riding, 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 a highwayman comes riding up to the old inn door. Over the cobbles he clatters and clangs in a dark inn yard, he taps with his whip on the shutters, but all is locked and barred. He whistles a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love knot into her long black hair. you enjoyed that poem i really like it and with the rhythm of it being like a horse galloping down the road i'm totally transported to a mysterious tavern on a 
foggy night in the British countryside where the lovers wait to be reunited. But this is a clear romanticisation of highwaymen, which leaves out their violent activities. Following on from those earlier ballads, where although we hear about Willie's loaded pistols, we don't really hear him using them, apart from on his pursuers. In Neuer's poem, it's only the police who are intent on capturing the highwaymen who are depicted as violent and unlikable. But highwaymen were thieves at best, and at their worst were a lot more terrifying and intimidating. Our next story comes from the Old Bailey Court Records. As Britain's central criminal court from 1674 to 1913, the Old Bailey's online archive houses thousands of records of criminal trials, which anyone, including you, could browse through. And interestingly, it classes highway robbery as a violent theft, which gives us some indication of the nature of highwaymen's crimes. And I'm going to share with you one of these trials now, that of John Buckley and Thomas Shenton, who attacked John Mawson in September of 1781. John Buckley and Thomas Shenton are indicted for that day near the King's Highway in and upon John Mawson did make an assault, putting him in fear and in danger of his life and stealing from his person. John Mawson, what say you? On the 17th of August, as I was coming home, in company with Mr Andrews, within two fields of the new road that is by the gatehouse of Lord Baltimore, we were met by two men. They attacked us both. The man who attacked me I have never seen since. He clapped a bayonet to my breast and said with an oath, your body or your life. He had on a soldier's waistcoat and breeches. I put the bayonet aside and gave him my silver, about three or four shillings. He then wished me a good night, but just as he went off, I thought I had an opportunity of seizing him, which accordingly I did, and immediately called out to my friend, Mr. Andrews, that I had got my man and would keep him. Less than a minute after that, while we were struggling, the prisoner, Shenton, and two others came up. They rushed to me immediately and ran a drawn bayonet smartish against my breast and swore that if I did not loose the man immediately, they would run me through directly. I was alarmed at this. I loosed the man and ran away. They followed me. They soon caught up with me and knocked me down. When I was down upon my back, one of them set his foot upon my breast, held his bayonet to my belly and swore a bitter oath and said what he would do to me. I believe this to have been Shenton. I begged for mercy. I told them that I had a wife and a large family. Buckley, at this time, stood at my feet. He said several times, Run him through! Run him through! I saw three or four bayonets drawn, but I don't know whether Buckley had one in his hand. They asked me for more money. I said I had two pockets of halfpence. They then asked me what my buckles were. I said silver, and they took them. Then they asked what my stock buckle was. I said that was silver too, upon which they took them too. Then one came up and asked them if they had got it all. They said yes, they believed they had. Then, said he, All right then, let him go. At this time, my friend Mr Andrews came up to also beg for my life. They then gave me a kick or two to my side and went away. This was as near as could be about nine o'clock. It was duskish, 
but there was light enough to see them, and I lay upon my back whilst they were doing all this, perhaps for about six or eight minutes, whilst they were rifling me. I wondered if I might be killed this night, left in that field to die. So we finally get a look at how Jaime crimes really went down, and they seem much less gentlemanly than we've had so far. There was no polite greeting, they attack in the night, in a group, and with guns and bayonets threatening their victims who were unarmed and outnumbered. Highwaymen in reality were opportunists, and robbed on horseback because their targets were vulnerable and would be far from any help. Criminal gangs like this were common, and Dick Turpin was part of one of the worst. The Gregory gang was notorious and they began to raid homes as well. There's a notable story of their raid on Widow Shelley's house in Lawton in 1735, where five members of the gang invaded her house with loaded pistols and threatened to hold her backside over a fire to make her confess where she hid her money. The gang made off with £100 and some silver after helping themselves to ale, wine and meat from her pantry. In another raid, Turpin and the gang beat a 70-year-old man with the butt of a pistol and poured kettle water over his head, all for £30. So, so much for their honour. These men barely resembled Robin Hood and his merry gang, and it seemed quite ridiculous that they would have been prey at all. But although these were the actions of real highwaymen, they are not the ones that are remembered for obvious reasons. The stories that stick around are the ones that people like, and they would not like stories like this. It was those few times when an outstanding highwayman showed decency towards the poor, or bested the law, that captured people's imagination. They formed these legends from these moments of goodness that shone bright in a difficult time for many in Britain. It's moments like when Claude de Bar, a notable highwayman from France, who was said to be the best dance master in London, stopped his robbery to invite the lady from her coach to dance with him that helped to form legends of highwaymen. It's these actions that stuck with people. It's these stories that remain in our collective memory. Because in the end, we all want to see the honourable hero outwit the law and find romance and joy in unexpected places. And so we forgive their other less than noble ways. So that's all for today. Our bedtime story seemed to become a bit of a horror story for a moment there. But luckily for us, banks were invented. Yes, the banks did in fact help to dethrone the highway kings of crime, as the rich no longer carried their money with them, so there was less to steal. And of course, the establishment of the police services had a role in ending the highwayman's reign on the roads too. It does seem a little sad that our rebels have gone, even though we now know they were so ruthless and violent. But maybe there's still some out there somewhere, and we just haven't remembered them yet. So now it's time to say goodnight to you, my sleepy historians. If you're still awake, have a think about what story you might want to hear for your next bedtime history. Until then, is a bold undaunted youth, who with you I have shared the truth. I wish you broadswords and liberty, till fate delivers you to memory.